Welcome back to Engineering Misjudgment with me, Shannon. I have a degree in chemical engineering and work as a risk consultant engineer. Eventually, I will tell you more about me, but today is not that day. Today, our topic is the Cuyahoga River fires. Okay, LOL at a consistent posting schedule. Um, I didn't work my day job for the month of November. And with this, I thought I'd be able to work more on hobbies. But I mean, I was wrong. I was incorrect. Um, So I'm going to try posting weekly. That's going to be the new schedule. I don't know what day that's going to be yet, but we're, we're going to try. We're going to try to do that. That's my goal. And I'm starting on my goals for 2022 early. So um, also, if you do want to know more about me, I have posted to my personal YouTube channel. Um, it's only Ariana Grande content, though. So uh, but I might do some other stuff. So go check that out. Uh, and I'm just trying to, I guess, be an adult with hobbies. All right, now that we have some housekeeping out of the way, let's jump into the thing you should know for this episode, which is the properties of water. Water as a concept and a thing is so important to societies that I do want to take some time to talk about its properties. I will for sure talk about water multiple times on this podcast. If you are friends with me in real life, you know that I am interested in water and wastewater treatment so much that I keep up with all the news for fun. The water infrastructure in the United States specifically is crumbling in new and spectacular ways every day. That is definitely something that's going to be the main topic in upcoming episodes, Um, but I haven't really organized it well yet to make a whole episode on just wastewater treatment in the U.S. Most of the information today about the properties of water will come from PubChem, which is an open source chemistry database at the National Institute of Health also known as the NIH, who, as an organization, has gained more popular recognition because of the ongoing pandemic. There's been no major changes in what water is since you may have learned about it in your primary classes. It's clear, odorless, inorganic, and essential for life. Water is made up of the chemical elements, hydrogen and oxygen, and has the chemical formula H2O. But what makes water special? Well, it's its versatility and its unique properties. Hydrogen bonding in water means it takes a significant amount of energy in comparison to other molecules of its size to boil and freeze. This helps to regulate the environment at large and on a smaller scale like sweating, which helps to regulate your personal body temperature. Frozen bodies of water also insulate the underlying water giving organisms consistent temperatures they can survive at. Also because of hydrogen bonding, water in its solid state, lower than 4 degrees Celsius, it floats. Water when frozen creates an open crystal structure and the volume increases. And for plant parents out there, high surface tension also is responsible for water moving through the roots of the plants by capillary action. Because of water's availability and versatility, It is, of course, used in industry for many things. The U.S. Geological Survey website states, industrial water use includes water use for purposes as fabricating, processing, washing, diluting, cooling, or transporting a product, incorporating water into a product, or for sanitation needs within the manufacturing facility. 
Some industries that use large amounts of water produce such commodities as food, paper, chemicals, refined petroleum, or primary metals. I could go on and on about water, but that's, it's generally that girl, like the baddest, like if water isn't at the party, we do not even consider going. So water's that girl. Ever wondered how the EPA got its start? Well, one breaking point was a river in Ohio, but it wasn't even the biggest fire of its kind in that spot. So why was this time different? Let's do some background first. The setting for today is the Cuyahoga River. Now, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, and I do have friends who are from Ohio that I could have asked, but I didn't. So here we are. The Cuyahoga River runs through central Ohio and Cleveland and connects to Lake Erie. The river kind of sits south of the main city center from all the maps and descriptions that I saw. The river is approximately 100 miles and has 37 tributaries. The Cuyahoga River watershed is 813 miles squared and spreads over six counties. As industry moved to the area after the Civil War, the river became more polluted and the residents didn't have much to say about it because of jobs and prosperity. Companies that grew out of Cleveland include American Shipbuilding Company, Lincoln Electric, Sherwin-Williams Paint Company, Republic Steel, and Standard Oil. Now, you may only know Standard Oil name because it was mentioned in Taylor Swift's American, Last Great American Dynasty, but Standard Oil did split into companies you may be more familiar with, including Sohio, which is now a part of BP, Esso, which later became Exxon, and SoCal, which is now Chevron. Fun fact, the Standard Oil breakup was so big, its successors, companies, are called the Seven Sisters. There are even oil companies not associated with Standard Oil who use the name to capitalize on the name recognition. So, as you can expect, the river was treated like an open sewer, with companies just throwing shit in there. A part of me wants to say that they didn't know the harm that they were doing, but a part of me knows companies always know. They have the money and the resources to be two steps ahead of the general public and legislation at all times. It was reported that 50 open sewers emptied into the river in 1905. I named this episode the Cuyahoga River Fires, plural, because the river caught fire many times before the 1969 fire that gets a lot of popular culture attention. Previous fires only brought up economic concerns, not necessarily environmental concerns. Here's a quote. The New York Times coverage of the 1883 fire was basically a ledger of economic losses. Nearly a dozen oil tanks exploded and a hundred thousand barrels went up in flames. The Times lamented that the loss cannot figure up less than $250,000. Even in 1952, the fire was couched in purely financial terms. The oil slick menace is bound to affect fire insurance rates, an editorial in in one local newspaper said. That would be an economic loss. So all of that was from the New York Times. And... I know you can't see me right now because this is a voice only thing, but I am hiding my face from the shade in that quote. 
Um, as I do work for an insurance company with a focus on fire protection. So I feel like, you know, they were worried about their insurance rates. They were worried about, you know, the insurance going up. So they should be scared uh, because we do do that. But I don't know much about that because I work on the engineering side. So, I mean, it is what it is. So the Cuyahoga River notably caught fire in 1868. 1883, 1887, 1912, 1922, Five men were killed in the 1912 fire on the Cuyahoga River, which also caused $1 million in damage, and there wasn't much done after that. Uh, Laura Bella, in her book, Not Enough to Drink, indicates the 1952 fire caused more than $1.5 million in damage. And the river most likely caught fire more times before that, but were not reported on. In the 1950s and 60s, Cleveland started losing jobs and deindustrialization began, so the dirty river couldn't be justified any longer for jobs and prosperity. In 1968, Cleveland residents supported the cleanup of the river through a $100 million bond issue. And just an FYI for those who don't know what a bond issue is bond issues by towns, municipalities, cities, states, and government at large are used to raise money to do stuff. The citizens can buy the bond and the entity they bought it from will pay them back after a certain amount of time and the bond is mature. So they'll start paying them when it's mature. The only real thing I know about bonds is I got some when I was young from doing pageants. And then when I got older, I spent at least one of them on an iPad classic, I guess in the mid 2000s. So I mean, bonds, they're cool. People buy them. And Cleveland was really getting everyone in on it by doing this bond issue. So what happened? Well, an oil slick on the river caught fire the morning of Sunday, June 22, 1969, around 12 p.m. The fire was likely sparked by a train passing over the river. The fire was five stories high and the blaze lasted for about 20 minutes. Damages from the fire were about $50,000, and most of the damage was to the railroad bridges over the river. And that was it. Overall, no one thought anything of it. The after of this incident is really the best part. After the fire, the papers, including Time Magazine, used a 1952 fire picture on the river for the 1969 story. No one has seen a real picture of the 1969 fire. Most pictures about the event are about the cleanup. The Time article on the fire was not front page. Most people read the article after buying that issue of Time for bigger stories that included Ted Kennedy's Chappaquiddick incident and, um, yes, the moon landing. People were not worried about this fire. If you don't know what the Chappaquiddick incident is, and you're a Succession fan, especially, you are going to love reading about that and all the lore around it. I think there's even a movie that recently came out maybe in like 2018, 2017. 
and it's really just a lot. Um, so from the Smithsonian Magazine, after the 1969 fire, Cleveland's mayor, Carl Stokes, who was the first African-American who had a position of that size in any major American city, worked with his brother, Lewis, who was in Congress, to push for environmental regulation. Though the 69 fire was relatively small, the two brothers helped shape public perception um, and it became a turning point in the environmental movement. And I'm going to use this as an opening for me to talk about the role of Black, Indigenous, and other minorities in the environmental movement in the U.S. I'm going to be honest, one of the reasons why my degree is in chemical engineering and only having a concentration in environmental studies versus having a full environmental engineering degree is because of the initial misconceptions I had about who I thought could be a career environmentalist. Take a moment and think, what did an environmentalist look like in the 50s, 60s, 70s? Yeah, maybe you understood that this was a trap of a question um, and thought of someone who looks visibly diverse. But honestly, if you didn't, that would be fine. Um, Black people and other minorities were busy <laughs> during the 50s and 60s and 70s, like, I don't know, securing general civil rights. To put this in perspective, Carl Stokes was elected two years before the 1969 fire on the Cuyahoga River. And because he was the first Black mayor of a city of its size, he was on the cover of Time. Like, it was a really, really big deal. Um, and he wasn't really taking over the city in the best of shape. Like they had already started deindustrialization. A lot of those companies I mentioned earlier were already either split and gone or had done something else and changed to a different type of company. So Carl Stokes, after the fire, took the media, took the media on a pollution tour of the river, which honestly was genius. Stokes assigned meaning to the fire that did help push along the growing environmental justice um, movement. A point made during the pollution tour was that Cleveland had no power over the pollution of its surrounding suburbs. After this, Stokes gets the tools to improve the city. With the help from his brother, Lewis, who was in Congress, a regulatory process was developed, and then later in the, 19, the 1972 Clean Water Act happened. The EPA was also founded in 1970, which also helped with regulating pollution. Carl really brought the pressure too. even after all the good things that happened. Um, the National Park Services actually says he voiced this concern in a press event for the first Earth Day in 1970. Carl Stokes said, I am fearful that the priorities on air and water pollution may be at the expense of what the priorities of the countries ought to be. Proper housing, adequate food, and clothing. The Conservancy for Cuyahoga Valley National Park said something so profound that I'm going to just read the quote. So it says, It's a common misconception that Black people are not involved in nature or do not care about the conditions of the environment. When the history of our very existence in this hemisphere includes a deeply rooted connection to the land. 
No matter how adverse the conditions of that birthing connection may have been, it is a relationship that has continued throughout the years. And that's the end of the quote. Um, It's just an amazing quote that makes me feel as that, you know, Carl Stokes taking the initiative to make this fire a really big important and put it on the national um, media level is not an accident. And even though Carl Stokes doesn't really see himself as an environmentalist, um, he definitely did a lot for the environmental movement. And the fire wasn't the only reason the EPA was founded, which was a later organization that kind of came from the general environmental movement in the U.S. There was a lot of stuff going on. Rachel Carlson's Silent Spring was published in 1962, and that was a really big book for environmental justice and environmentalists. In 1972, the river was designated as a recreational area, and that preserved it from development. The Environmental Protection Agency had identified nine beneficial use impairments for the river in 1992. The loss of aesthetics indicator was removed in 1992, indicating the river met requirements in how the water looked. Two more indicators that the EPA had given the river were removed in later years. So the public access and recreation impairment uh, was removed in 2017, and the restrictions to fishing to fish consumption was removed in 2019. Um, in that same year, the Cuyahoga River was named the River of the Year. And the Cuyahoga is now one of 12 American Heritage Rivers nationwide. Some groups um, are working to make the river a part of an official Ohio water trail. And there are still many things wrong with the river, but because it is now used for mostly recreation, it is improving, but has a long way to go. What was the engineering misjudgment here? Well, for me, I think the main engineering misjudgment was seeing pollution as a necessary evil. And that's something I definitely put on the industry, not the people who were just happy that they had jobs in their town. Um, The first misconception I do want to just clear up is that rivers do not burn on their own. The fire was on the river and that was the fault of what was in the river. Cuyahoga River isn't unique when it comes to having fires on it. During that time, there were fires on rivers in Columbus, Detroit, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Galveston, and Baltimore. The main thing about this engineering misjudgment is just disregarding the impact of industrial pollution into a major waterway and the environment at large. Engineers and business owners should deeply consider the environmental impacts of their new technologies instead of just moving a town over to avoid the pollution they are creating. There are many sustainable certifications that engineers can get. I won't go into specifics, but if it's not a priority in your workplace and you're an engineer, ask why. Don't just take pennies and wages from large corporations and be grateful. If you don't know shit about science, do what you can to bully large organizations to do better. Bring that Karen energy and use it for good. Also, to be a sustainable person, don't let marketing get to you. It gets to me a lot, but what I have to remind myself is sustainability can look different ways. I don't even like the outside that much, like I'm not a big hiker or outdoorsy person, but 
I damn sure want to make sure it's there for people who do like doing that. And if you don't take anything away from this, just know pollution is not an individual problem. I repeat it again. Pollution is not an individual problem. You not throwing trash out your car window is not gonna you know end it all um it's good to not do that but what will end it all is if governments and large organizations like don't step up like we're in this shit and we can only get out of this shit with the help of large organized force and the last thing is that pollution is not a 70s issue that we have solved even if you narrow it down to water and waterways, we just got to keep going and keep putting the pressure on. All right, so that's all I have for today. So make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ENG underscore misjudgment for photos and send a DM if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. I did talk about the EPA a lot in this episode, so I'm hoping to put out a Alphabet Soup episode on the EPA. Um, I think that will be pretty long because the EPA has a lot of history and a lot of different parts, so um, look out for that. Again, I have no clue when I'm going to post it, but I definitely have already written the script, so that's a good sign. Uh, Yeah, so that's all I have for y'all today. Thank you so much for listening. Dumb Spiro Sparrow. Bye.